looking together this morning at the beginning of Genesis 2, the first three verses. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is powerful. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is sufficient and authoritative. Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work, that he had done in creation. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning as a people who are in need to learn from your word. We ask, O Lord, that you would teach us from your word, but that you would not just teach us facts, but that you would teach us how to trust you, that you would teach us how to live our lives worthy of the calling with which you have called us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. America in 2012, it's a very busy place. Isn't it? Some of you can remember back to the good old days when there actually was such a thing as 9 to 5. Monday to Friday. Now, it seems like we are always on the clock. Some of you gentlemen have the privilege of every other Friday off. And for the privilege of that, you get to work longer days. And some Saturdays. Maybe even some holidays. I remember when I first started out as a young attorney, my very first year, I'd been married just a couple of months, and I had the foolish thought that I would take a week off for Christmas. And I would go with my wife, and we would go visit family in Buffalo for Christmas. And after the second day of practically spending the entire day on the phone and on the computer working from Buffalo, I realized that life tends not to slow down. As a matter of fact, the next year, all of the associates were dragged into a conference room and told we were forbidden from taking a Christmas vacation because it was end-of-the-year busyness. Now, you don't need to have a job to understand how busy life is, do you? I don't need to explain to moms what it means to be busy and harried with all of the duties that you have. And I won't leave the kids out because when I was your age, we didn't have standardized tests for everything. We didn't have work that went through the summer. We took a summer vacation. So many of us now keep going through the summer with at least some kind of school so we can accomplish everything we need to accomplish. And as I have mentioned to you in the past, we now have this cute phrase that we use 
24-7. I'm online 24-7. You can get me 24-7. Which is just a way of saying, oh, don't even worry if I have to sleep. You can call me at 2 in the morning. What you have, I'll jump on right away. The world is changing and not for the better. And I think the main reason that the world is changing in this direction is not because we need to produce more widgets or not because the economy is more fragile. It's because as a nation, and quite frankly across the globe, we are moving further and further from the Lord. And therefore, we move further and further from His directives, directives and commands that are for our good. We're going to look at one of them here this morning in the creation of the seventh day, the creation of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of rest and of gladness. But we'll look particularly of three things about this day. The first thing is that the Sabbath is a day of completion. It is a day of completion for God. It is secondly a day of rest. And it is thirdly a day of blessing. A day of completion, a day of rest, and a day of blessing. Well, let's begin now by looking at the Sabbath as a day of completion. This short section here of Chapter 2 that we're looking at describes the seventh day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that He had done. Now, as you are looking at this part of Genesis, you may be struck by something that kind of annoys some commentators. Why is this chapter 2? This should be in chapter 1. After all, it's about creation. It's the seven days of creation. Why start a whole new chapter? It doesn't seem to make any sense. Chapter 2 should begin at verse 4, when it describes what we'll look at next week, the greater detail of the creation of man. Why the great division here between day 6 and day 7? And I would put it to you that, while, as I have told you before, chapter and verse divisions are not inspired... They were added well after the Bible was pulled together. Chapter and verse divisions can also be helpful. And I will put it to you that chapter 2 begins here because throughout history the church has seen that there is something different and special about the seventh day. This is a headline. This is a turn the newspaper to the bottom of the fold, big print. Day 7. We've gone through day 7 above the fold. Or excuse me, days 1 through 6 above the fold. Now we go to day 7. And we see it even in the language that is used here by Moses. The first word here is thus. Now this is the same little word that we talked about last week. The Hebrew and that gets shoved on the beginning of a word. It gives us our Old Testament feel, right? And David went here, and he saw this man, and they did this. But occasionally it is used as a summing up word. That's where we get the thus. Thusly, thus. Or therefore. Or just simply, pay attention now here, folks. We're about to go to day seven. 
It also accounts for the language that is odd to our ears, this repetitive Hebrew language. You notice over and over again we are told about the seventh day. Look at verse 2. On the seventh day. And then again, on the seventh day. And then again, in the third verse, on the seventh day. It's like a trinity of completion here. An amen, amen, and amen to get our attention. And then finally, if you look here at verse 2, you see there's a virtual parallelism here. Moses is not trying for economy of words. He says, on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from, guess what? All the work that he had done. You see, Moses is trying to draw our eyes to this text because, you see, he knows that we are people. And as people, we are drawn to action. There's a reason why men like movies where things blow up. We like to see things happening. We don't like to go to movies to watch people talk about, talking about their relationships. We like action. And and that's also true of ladies, too, because it may not be a movie, but ladies like to see things done. They like to see the house get cleaned. They like to see the children doing their work. They like to see things going on in the neighborhood. And you see, our eye is normally drawn to the first six days to say that's where all the important stuff is happening. And Moses says to us, slow down, buddy. That's going to become a theme here in a minute. He says, stop and take a moment and look and see what God is doing. God has completed all His work of creation. He has entirely organized the world. The world has gone from that emptiness, that void, that formlessness that we saw at the beginning of Genesis 1, and now all of the heavens, all of the earth, and all of their host. That's a short way of saying every possible thing in it, all the fish, all the birds, all the dogs, all the lions, all the people, all the grass, it's all done. God has looked at it, and it's very good. And this word here for finished has the connotation of being completed. It is done. And so we might say, not only does this not belong in Genesis chapter 1, it is properly in Genesis chapter 2, we might say that all of Genesis 1 is really about the Sabbath. Right? If you work on cars, you get some joy with playing with a carburetor, right? You get some joy with even knowing what a Cadillac converter is. I don't. You get some joy about making it work, and getting in there and getting your hands dirty. But that's not the reason you work on cars, is it? You work on cars so that when it's finished, you drop the hood, you turn the key, and that purr goes, right? You enjoy cooking. Maybe you like to bake cakes. And you enjoy using the mixer and getting the eggs and getting the ingredients and doing things. You enjoy that, but at the end of the day, it's so that you can look and eat the finished product, isn't it? It's that sense of accomplishment, of being complete. That is what makes you stand back and say, wow, that's a fancy car. That is a beautiful cake. Right? Nobody says, that is unbelievable the way you beat those eggs. Love that grease under your fingers, sir. Right? 
But that's the same point about creation. All of creation, everything that you see builds up to this moment when God stands back and takes joy. We serve a joyful God. He looks at his creation and he says, not only is it very good, oh, it is complete. It is joyful. All of creation is for this seventh day. This rest that God takes is our opportunity to share in his delight. To look at the intricacy of creation. The grandeur of creation. This world that God has created. To take great joy in it. This day is a day of completion, not just because God has completed his creation, but there's also a completion of his purpose as well. Now, it is not just that the work is done. You know what that's like, don't you? Some unpleasant task. Maybe for you it's cleaning the blinds or mopping the floor or getting all of the leaves that have fallen into bags and out by the curb, and you are done, and you wipe your brow, and you say, oh, I'm so glad that's over. Hopefully that'll be at least a couple of months before I have to do that again. Right? You're just glad it's done. That's not the joy that God takes. Because, you see, God's joy comes from the fact that it is complete. It is all very good. God has finished what he has purposed and what he has planned. And this is how our God works. Our God is not a God of shortcuts. And the Lord is not a Lord who simply works for the sake of working. He is purposeful in all that he does. We see that here even in the language that is used. The heavens and the earth are finished. They are completed. This same language, this same verb is used in a few other places. In Exodus chapter 40, verse 33. When after chapter after chapter after chapter, you know those really hard chapters that you have to go through when you read through the Bible in a year? About the curtains of the tabernacle were made of this. And the roof of the tabernacle was made of that. And it was this many cubits by that many cubits by this many cubits. And you wonder if you'll ever get through it. All of that work... Moses looks and he says that it is finished what God has purposed and planned. The tabernacle, the place of worship. And it should be no surprise that the next time that we see this word in the same context is in 2 Corinthians 7, when guess what else is finished? The temple. When Solomon completes the temple. And we have the exact same concept, although not the same word, because it's a different language, in John chapter 19, when at the completion of the greatest work in the history of the universe, the work of recreation, Jesus looks and he says, it is finished. The purpose, the reason he came, the reason that our Lord was born of a woman, the reason that he lived a perfect life, the reason that he bore with sinful men around him, the reason that he allowed himself to be betrayed, tortured, killed, and die, was so that the purpose of God and the redemption of sinners could be found. There is yet one more word of finish. We know this because we see it in Revelation 21. 
it is when the recreation of the heavens and the earth is to be done. And our Lord Jesus Christ looks out over this new heavens and new earth and He says, it's done. It's finished. The purpose of God is always accomplished. Paul reminds us of this when he tells us in Philippians 1 that He who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of perfection. All of this purpose of creation is for this seventh day. And so we need to think about this day of rest. It is not just a special rule for the people of God. This day of rest is not just for one section of one denomination of one part of the church. This is for every human being because it is the pinnacle of creation. All of the world needs a Sabbath rest. Because we were created that way. Before there were church buildings. Before there were even churches. When there were just two people. God had designed a Sabbath rest. And so we see that this is not only a day of completion, it is also a day of rest. It is a day of rest that is established by God. It is a rest of achievement. You see, this day of rest is rooted in God's resting. And God does not rest a rest of inactivity. Right? How do we know that during that day of rest... God was at work. We know it because the world continued to exist. The Bible tells us that the world itself is held together by the word of His power. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 5. A little bit earlier than what we read this morning in our scripture reading. The Pharisees loved to fight our Lord about the Sabbath. Because you see, for them, the Sabbath was indicative of their view of religion. You see, they thought it was their job to figure out the Sabbath. And to figure out what ought to be done, and more importantly, what ought not to be done. And they would figure out for God, they would fill in the details for God, and they would tell everyone what God really meant when he talked about a rest. And you see, the problem there was not with the day of rest or the Sabbath. It was with their hearts. It was with their desire to control, to manipulate, to be in power. So it's no wonder that our Lord confronted them more often than anything else on this commandment. So if we look here at John chapter 5, beginning in the middle of verse 9. Now that day was the Sabbath. That is the day on which... A man was healed at the pool. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. He answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. 
The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. You see, Jesus reminds us that this rest that God takes on the seventh day is not a rest of inactivity. It is a rest from that work of creation. The word here, work, is actually an ordinary work. We might translate it in another context, job or occupation. You see, God ceased from that work of creation because that work was completely done. Which, by the way, quick aside, is yet another argument against evolution. There's no more creating going on at all, ever. It is done. There may be recreating, there may be regenerating being done, but the work of creation is done right now. And so, we need to remember that not only is that work done, but that the work of providence goes on. As soon as God had created the world, He began holding it together. He began working in a different way. It is not a work of inactivity. We'll need to remember that. Also, we need to remember that God does not need the rest. He's not like us after a long day. Have you ever had a long day of working in the yard? A long day of working in the yard in Houston? A long day of working in the yard in Houston in July? And you get in, and you're as wet as if you'd taken a shower, and you jump into the shower... And you rub the grime and the grease and all of the sweat off you and you get clean and you towel off and you go and you sit on the nice comfortable couch and you put up your feet. And if you are blessed, a family member brings you something cold to drink and you say, I could just sit here forever. And sometimes, especially men, I think, do. We fall asleep. That kind of rest is not the rest that God is taking because God doesn't tire. He does not need to take a break. He does not need some governmental agency to mandate how many breaks per eight-hour shift he will get. This kind of rest is about something else. It's about a rest, a ceasing from one work and a preparing for another. You might think of it from another biblical example. After he rose from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ went and was seated at the right hand of God the Father. Does that mean that Jesus is on a 2,000 year coffee break? Is Jesus at work today? Amen. And your lives are proof of it, aren't they? Jesus is at work urging you to prayer. Helping you to understand His Word. Prompting you to testify to others. Perhaps He is even at work right now in your life because you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is using the foolishness of preaching right now to prompt you to think, what about this God who's so powerful He doesn't need to rest? This God who's created everything. How can I possibly stand before Him? Jesus is at work bringing sinners to the Father. This is the kind of work that God ceases from. And we have multiple testimonies 
in the Bible about this. This day of rest is not just at the beginning here of creation. We see it in Exodus 16 when the Israelites were gathering together the manna in the wilderness. This is before the fourth commandment. 16 comes before 20 in Exodus. And they were told to gather up how much manna per day? Just enough for that day, right? So that they could learn to trust the Lord. But how much were they to gather the day before the Sabbath? Two days worth. So that they could rest on the Sabbath. We see it in the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20 where that commandment to remember the Lord's Day is rooted in creation because the Israelites are told not to keep the Lord's Day, not to keep the Sabbath, but to remember it, to go back to creation. We see it in Deuteronomy 5 where our Lord describes the great redemption that He provided for them and how the rest is in the context of redemption. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt Therefore, the Lord commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. It's rooted not just in creation, but in redemption. Paul reminds us of this in Colossians chapter 2, where he gives us a foreshadowing that the Lord's day, that the Sabbath is a foreshadowing of the great blessing to come. And then there's that great section in Hebrews chapter 4 where the rest of the Sabbath is compared to the rest of all eternity. I hate to break it to you. Heaven is not eternity on a couch with a glass of sweet tea. Heaven is a time of work. A work that we rejoice in. The work of worship. The work of fellowship the work of honoring and adoring Jesus Christ. That is what this foreshadows. It is a day established by God, but it is also a day experienced by us. I think I know you all. Partly because I know myself. You panic about time, don't you? You go home at night and you wonder, am I spending enough time with my kids? I only have so many more years that they're in the house. Or you panic about, I only get to see my grandchildren so many times a year or so often. How will they remember me? You panic about the time that you had to complete projects at work. You go into a panic about things that need to be done around the house. All it takes is to stand still for a minute and look around your house and see dozens and dozens of things that you've just got to do and you begin to panic. Right? It's because you know that life flies along at the pace of a typhoon. Kids, you've heard your parents say it and it is true. Life is over in a blink. Time goes faster and faster every year, doesn't it? You would think that the longer we had lived, the slower time might seem, but it seems faster and faster and faster. And so as we try to do even good things, we are bound up in a panic. We've got to read through the Bible in a year, but if I read through the Bible in a year, I'm only going to read it through now this many times. Maybe I need to read through the Bible twice in a year. Oh, but I've got to memorize my catechism questions, so I know that. I've got to memorize my catechism. Wait a minute, I've got to have quiet time. I've got to do my quiet time. Oh, wait, I've got to do service. And 
You can do that with the best of things. And you can become frozen and paralyzed because of all that you think you have to do. God says to you, Genesis chapter 2, you need to take a break. Taking a break is so important, I did it, God says. God does it so that by example, we know that we must rest. We must trust the Lord who holds the time. You do not know how many minutes you will have with your children, beloved. God does. He's wiser than you. And He loves your children more than you do. You must trust Him. You must trust Him enough to pause, to take a break, to know that this time is passing, that this world is passing. Augustine puts it beautifully in his Confessions. He says, O Lord God, grant us peace, for you have given us all things. Grant us the peace of rest, the peace of the Sabbath, which has no evening. For this worldly order in all its beauty will pass away. All these things which are very good will come to an end when the limit of their existence is reached. They have been allotted their morning and their evening. Do you notice that this day is the day where there's no refrain of morning and evening? There's morning and evening in day six. There's morning and evening in day five. Morning and evening in day four. This rest is the rest that we enter into in Jesus Christ forever. It is the purpose that God has for us to live in a world of creation that is very good. And you see, we need this. We need completion. As I was researching the idea of the week, it was quite humorous. Virtually every society has a period of time of seven days. Not just those based on the Bible. Actually, the Babylonians, sort of the anti-Bible people, had a seven-day week. The Roman Empire had a seven-day week. The Hindus, as early back as we can see documented, of the 11th century B.C., have a seven-day week. The Chinese have a seven-day week. Now, there are some who have tried to avoid this biblical idea of seven days. It occurred first during, you guessed it, the French Revolution, in which they were doing away with everything that was old, especially anything that had to do with God. And in typical French obsession with everything metric, they decided a week, a period of time, must be ten days. And after a couple of years, when contracts had gone crazy, and when people's lives were a mess, and nobody knew even how to keep a calendar, they gave up. Not to be outdone, several hundred years later, the Soviet Union decided that a five-day week would be an appropriate week. A few years later, they gave up. Because the seven-day cycle is built into our being. We need that rest. None of you will go home and contemplate this afternoon, do I really need to breathe? And this thing like with the water, 
Do I really need to drink? I mean, and food. It's so expensive. Couldn't I just, let's see, this year, let's just go without food. And yet every day, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ wonder whether they can go day after day after day after day after day after day with no rest. God has made you to rest once every seven days. He's made you to rest not just because you need it physically, but because you need it spiritually. Do you wonder what the cause of restlessness is? It's sin. We're restless because we need what someone else has. We're restless because we're worried about our lot in life. We're restless because we wonder how things will turn out and we do not place our trust in the Lord. Restlessness comes from sin. And the solution to sin is a Savior. Jesus Christ has entered into His own rest that we might enter into His rest. We long for that permanent solution, that permanent resolution to sin. And this is why God has created for us the seventh day. The seventh day is a day of completion. It is a day of rest. But it is perhaps most importantly a day of blessing. We see this here in verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. Now notice the because. This day is a day set apart. It is a day made holy. It is a day blessed because God rested from His work of creation. So this day is a day of blessing because it is a holy day. It is a day uniquely related to God. You remember I told you that the Babylonians had a seven-day week and they actually had something like a Sabbath. I say something like because their seventh day was a day of cursing, not a day of blessing. It was a, it was a boogeyman day. It was a day that if you read old Babylonian scripts and inscribed stones, you see it was a day you didn't travel, you didn't conduct business, you didn't leave your house if you could, because that was the day in which the gods gotcha. How different this day that God gives us. It's a day that is wholly set apart for us. And you see, this is, I think, why the world doesn't want to rest. Even though the world sets up a weekend, a weekend is a time in which you do a different kind of crazy work than you do during the week. Because the world does not want to rest in God. It does not seek holiness. It doesn't seek a day set apart. This is the very first time in all of the Bible that the word holy is used. And it means set apart. Both here and everywhere else. The word saint just means holy one. A a people, a person set apart by God. Separated out to God. And God can do this with ordinary things. He does it with clothing. In the tabernacle in the temple. He does it with places. Have you ever wondered why Jesus 
talks about praying in our prayer closet. Now, can you pray other places? Of course you can. But there is a sense in which a secret place where we go to pray that is set apart and designated so we can focus upon God is a good thing. Just like saying that this day is holy does not mean the other six days are unholy. Every day is holy to God, but this day is especially set apart to God to draw our attention to God just like our eyes were drawn attention to this text. Sunday is a day that God has claimed for Himself. Today is not Super Bowl Sunday. When this nation has gone the way of other nations and they're playing some other sport in which they spend billions of dollars on it, this will still be Sunday. They may happen to have some activity on Sunday. But do you see how our nation sets apart this day? Everything revolves around it. The entire city of Indianapolis this year has become a giant Super Bowl. They've set up villages and procedures and events. And everything revolves around this. Would that it were that we as a people as a church, would order our lives around the Lord. And that everything that we did focused and pointed toward Him. Now, would that mean that we couldn't do anything else but stand quietly and pray? No. But it would mean everything we did, whether it was work or play or drawing or listening to music or driving, would be in the context of glorifying God to focus upon Him. It is a day that is holy and set apart for the worship of God because we need to be organized for worship. This is, if you think about it, the Sabbath is a great principle for why we must worship corporately together. Not only individually, but together. And to worship together, we must have a time in which we come together. God has given it to us. We don't have to invent it. It's a holy day. But it's also, finally, it is a blessed day. This is a creation ordinance, just like the blessing of marriage and of work. It is a gift for man. You remember that our Lord said in Mark 2 that man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Let's go back to our days of creation. This is the seventh day. The very first day the very first entire day that Adam and Eve experienced was a day of worship and a day of rest. How good is God? Adam would have to work and tend the garden, but not at the outset. At the outset, it was a day for worship. It is also a day for nurturing. This is the day that you can use to nurture your family. It's an opportunity to be with your children, to be with your parents. It's a day of nurturing service to others. The Lord's Day is a perfect day to go visit people in the hospital or in a nursing home or a home and sick or to entertain and have others so that you might encourage them. It's perhaps most importantly a day for nurturing our own spiritual life. 
It's a day in which we can stop. It's a day in which a mom can say with complete impunity, no, I'm not going to work on the laundry right now. I'm going to sit down and relax and read my Bible. Or I'm going to talk to my daughter about being a godly woman. Where a man can say, I don't have to do that yard work. I'm going to teach my sons what it means to be a man of God's word. It's a day to nurture our spiritual health. Now, remember one final thing here that I think often we forget. And I put it near the end so it sticks in your mind. The focus of the Lord's Day of the Sabbath should not be on what we cannot do. Do not let the devil convince you that the Sabbath is a day in which you should wear great clothing and listen to soft music that you don't like because you wouldn't want to be happy about it and sit and do nothing. The Sabbath is a day of joy and fellowship because that is how it was begun in creation. Think of the three F's. Food. Fellowship. And fun. That's what the Lord's Day is. I have a good friend who's a pastor that every Lord's Day is a Lord's Day in which they make massive ice cream Sundays, And only on Sunday. Because it's special. And it's a way he gets and imparts that specialness. So there's a specialness about the Sunday meal. It's an opportunity to fellowship with others. And you should allow your children to enjoy the day. To have fellowship with each other. To laugh. To sing. It is the day that God has created for us. It is a day that we are to remember. It's a day that we are to keep holy. It's a day in which we are to rest from the world. But most importantly, it's a day in which we are to rest in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have given us this gift, this gift beyond our imagining of the Sabbath. We thank you, Lord, because we would not have thought to ask for it. And yet you know our frame. You know that we need rest. And you know that we need to focus upon you. Please help us, Lord, to live our lives in expectation of living forever with you in the glory that you have prepared. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.